this is Pastor Tito here. Welcome to another episode of our revolutionary podcast where I am here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And so today we're going to start a great, a really fun uh, portion, mini series inside of this series called The End, the study of the book of Revelation, as we're going to look at chapters two and three of the book of Revelation that cover the seven letters to the seven churches. And so with this one being number one, all right, church number one, it is going to be a really interesting one here because it just deals with the first things first. And I want to encourage you as you follow on and look at all these, you're going to notice a progression, a, a very interesting connection between these seven historical churches that speak into our lives today, especially when it comes to following Jesus and knowing who he is. So remember, the whole book of Revelation is about the receiving a revelation of Jesus and here, these seven letters begin understanding and begin to reveal Jesus's heart towards the church. What does it mean according to Jesus's standards to follow him? And hey, I, I can't, uh, not surprised, I can't uh, imagine a better way to start. And I'm not surprised the way Jesus starts this whole thing with speaking on priorities, the importance of priorities, and in fact, putting first things first and defining what first should be. So let's go ahead and let's dive right into chapter two as we begin week one or church number one of the seven letters to the seven churches. If you didn't know, we just started a brand new series on the book of Revelation called The End. All right, it's one of the most debated and discussed books probably in the Bible. So you know what? Might as well. 2020 is that kind of a year. So let's just go right at it, right? Let's just go right into the most, you know, craziest book in the Bible because this year has been a crazy one. But uh, so last week we talked about the beginning, right? We looked at chapter one. Today we're going to look at a little uh, extra. And the one thing I want you guys all to know that there is a blessing inside of, right at the very beginning, at the chapter one, it says, blessed are those who can crack the code and predict the future. No, I'm just kidding. I made that up. That's not in there, okay? Revelations chapter 1, it doesn't say, blessed is the one who can crack the code and predict the future and when the world's going to end. No, it says, blessed is the one who reads and keeps God's word. And so the book of Revelation, guys, I want, I want to make sure to anchor us in here. It is all about not figuring out what's going to happen someday. It actually is all about how we are supposed to live today. It is the revelation of Jesus. It's all about revealing Christ, who he is. And here's a cool part that I don't know if some of y'all ever thought about revelation and looked at it this way. It actually not only reveals to us who Jesus is, but how we are to follow him. And that's what it's all about. Now, following Jesus is kind of like a recipe. Anybody, any cooks in the house, if you're online, let me know if you're the cook of the family. Anybody here the cooks? Anybody like to dabble? I know a couple of y'all, I mean, over with quarantine, y'all been, you know, figuring some stuff out, right? We got some new chefs in the house and some new skills that some of y'all have developed, right, with the social distancing. Um, I'm not the, the cook because I make too much of a mess, so I'm not allowed, and so that's just me. But I, I do like, you know, I, I do like to cook, and, and here's the thing about recipes, right? It, there has to be a level of, you know, an order. There has to be something that you have to follow in order to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish, right? And yes, there's freedom in a recipe, right? You can kind of dabble, like my wife is one that she kind of has the idea and then she kind of improvises and just magic, right? It's just amazing. Uh, sometimes, you know, you have to uh, play with that. And so then there's sometimes freedom. Maybe your limitations. Like one time 
I was a teenager. I was probably maybe 15, playing outside all day during the summer. It was me and a couple friends. We went inside. I needed to eat. I was starving. And my mom was about to go do groceries. Well, she was doing groceries. And it was just one of those, like, I'm pretty sure we've done that, right? You wait. It's kind of like on gas. Like, you wait till you're past E, and then you fill up the tank. Well, it was like one of those. The, poof, the refrigerator was empty. There was nothing. And so she was going to get something, but I needed to eat. There was only three things in the refrigerator. Eggs, ground beef from the night before, and fish sticks. So I made an omelet of all three things combined. Okay, I know. I was hungry. That's the teenager stuff right there. So whatever. I, I don't know if I'll do that again. I don't know if my 37-year-old body can, you know, my, my digestive situation could handle that again. But whatever. It was delicious for that day. I was hungry. Um, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter if, you know, if I cook that or anything. There is an order to cooking that you have to adhere to even if you kind of want to improvise a little bit, right? If, I, if you want to make a grilled cheese sandwich, you can't start by grilling the cheese. That makes sense? Simple common sense, right? If you want to have a grilled cheese sandwich, you don't start by grilling the cheese. There's certain things that have to be done first. Some of y'all done that. It looks like by some of y'all faces. I don't know. Don't do that, all right? Online, don't do that. Kids don't try this at home. And so here's the thing. If you rearrange the recipe too much, you can ruin the meal, yes or no, right? If you rearrange the recipe too much, you can ruin the meal. Well, here's the thing about following Jesus. There's a, there's a recipe to following Jesus, and there's freedom in the recipe. You don't have to look like, act like, talk like, exactly like me or someone else. There's, there's freedom in following Jesus, but there is some fundamental things that must be done first. Because if you rearrange the recipe to following Jesus, you're going to ruin the relationship in the same way you would ruin a meal. All right, same thing. There is an order to certain things. I'm sure we have all walked up to a Coke machine at some point or a candy machine and seen the sign out of order, right? ever seen that? An out of order sign. What is that telling you? Out of order means it's not working. Why? Because something along the channel, something in the electrical is out of order, out of sequence. That's why it's not working. And there is an element of an order when we follow Jesus that if we don't have the, understand the right order, our relationship with God, our connection with God becomes out of order. This is probably why some of you, and I've, I've found myself here, so maybe I'm going to, some of y'all I'm praying and believing that you're going to, a light bulb is going to pop. I was like, oh, that's why I feel like that. Or that's why I felt like that. Because if the order is not right, your faith doesn't seem fulfilling. Your faith is no longer fulfilling, and you stop having fun with Jesus. Like, we, I like to say here all the time, in fact, some of our, you know, leaders and volunteers love to say that if you're not having fun following Jesus, you ain't doing it right. If you're not having fun following Jesus, you're not doing it right. Exactly. Because if you're not having fun, something is out of order. And that's what we're going to look at today as we look at the book of Revelation chapter 2. That there is a great church that we're about to look at. A great church, but something is out of order that eventually is going to cause a problem. And in fact, here's the sad part. They didn't fix this one thing and they had a problem. It became a problem. And so I want to make sure if you find yourself in this, we know, all right, we know how to rearrange and get back working back to order. So we're looking at Revelation chapter 2, and what we're doing right now is right at this point, Jesus was talking to the apostle John on the island, and he says, write down the things that you have seen, which was what he wrote down in chapter 1. Write down the things that are, present tense statement, and we're going to start right there, that, sent, that, that part of what are things, 
right? What are things are. So that is chapters two and three that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. And these, what makes up chapters two and three are seven letters written to seven specific churches. In fact, this whole book of Revelation was actually written to these seven churches. John actually had to copy this book seven different times because it was going to go to each one, seven of these churches. Now there was seven letters, one for each of the churches, but Jesus wanted to make sure that everybody got the letters, even though it wasn't addressed to everyone, because, hey, you church over there, I know I'm talking to them right now, but I need you to listen because you need to learn from their experience. I'm, I'm sure we've done that. You ever had a friend, somebody at school, a brother, especially if you got siblings? You ever seen somebody do something and get in trouble and it wasn't you, right? They did. It was like, ooh, okay, I know not to do that, all right? And so you learn by their experience, right? You learn by someone else messed up. And so I'm like, okay, I know not to repeat that. Well, that's what the purpose of all these seven churches, the letters are. It's like, hey, I'm talking to you right now, but hey, you pay attention. You better learn from his experience because it could be your problem as well. So that's what we're going to look at. And in fact, these seven churches, a lot of theologians believe that they represent the seven ages of the church. So you you can look at history and you can almost divide the last 2,000 years into seven ages of the church, but others, and I believe this one as well, that these seven churches represent the church in every age. So over the next couple weeks, as we look at all the seven, we're going to notice something that we can apply each of us to our lives. So the first letter was written to the church of Ephesus. And if you have read the Bible at all, uh, even if you've been to church for a little bit, that word might sound familiar. Have you ever heard of the book of Ephesians? All right, that's the church of Ephesus. So Paul, decades before this letter was written, Paul wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus called the book of Ephesians. And what's, what's amazing is that this, I want you guys to know this is a great church that we're going to look at. This is the first church mentioned. So Jesus is going to start off with priorities. And this was a great church that was a part of a great city. Ephesus was a great city. It was one of the cultural and economic uh, meccas of that area during that time in ancient times. And it actually, this was pretty cool, it actually had one of the great ancient wonders of the world called the Temple of Artemis. All right, that was there in Ephesus. So Ephesus had a, was a great city with one of the great wonders of the world. And Ephesus, the, the church of Ephesus, was a great church and it had great leaders. Paul established Ephesus. Not only that, you had Priscilla, you know, Aquila and Priscilla, all the also leaders there, what we see in the book of Acts and others that were great leaders as well. Apollos, which was one of the early fathers during that time in the first decade or couple decades of the church's life, he was great in the scriptures. Apollos was a great guy. All right, Timothy was a great pastor. Again, if you've ever read First and Second Timothy, you've heard of that in the Bible. That's Paul talking to a guy named Timothy, who is the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Same guy. He's, the, he's their leader. And so, and after Timothy, guess who was their leader now? This guy, John, the one who's writing this letter. He is the, the kind of the elder over all seven of these churches. And some believe that, uh, not some, but we even look at history, that John actually lived in this city and was, lived in Ephesus even after he left the island of Patmos. And so, great city, great church, but they had a great problem. And this is something, listen, this was, I've found this problem. I've had this problem in my life. And I tend to still, if I'm not careful, find myself repeating the problem. So I guarantee you, if those of you, you're going to find something that's going to relate. So here we go. Let's look at chapter 2. And let's read what Jesus was trying to tell this church. Ready? Chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Jesus is saying, write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the Lord, all right, thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, 
and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Prior in chapter 1, the seven stars are the seven leaders, the seven pastors of these churches. And the lampstands represent the seven churches. So here we see a picture of Jesus walking among the seven lampstands. So this is a God who is active, who is present, who is aware. He knows. He's there in their life. But at the same time, not only is he aware, he's present, but he knows what's going on. All right, if you thought Big Brother, all right, you thought Big Brother was a problem, yo, you, you got Big Father to deal with. He sees everything. He knows everything. So let's check it out. Here we see he is among them. I'm walking among them. I am close by. He says, I know. I told you, he knows. And he knows. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You don't tolerate evil people. Instead, what does he say? says, you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardship for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. I told you, this is a great church. This is a great characteristic of a church. But, verse 4, here it goes. But I have this one thing, only thing. I got one thing wrong with you. Jesus is not being petty and nitpicky here, okay? Because this is a big deal. It says, I have one thing against you. What is it? You have abandoned the love you had at first. I'm going to read that again. What what did they do? You abandoned the love you had at first. Here's the instruction. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. I'm telling you, this, this Revelation Jesus don't play games. Revelation Jesus look mean because he means business. Verse 6. You know what, though? Yet, you do have this. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That's an interesting phrase. Uh, We're not going to dive deep into that because there was another church who actually had an issue with the Nicolaitans. And that's an interesting one that we're going to leave. This this, this church don't got that problem. So even that, look, Jesus, look, I got one other thing, though. I love this, guys. But hold on. By by the way, you abandoned first love. Verse 7, last one. Let anyone who has ears listen to what the Spirit says to, notice, plural, Churches, not just the seven churches, but hey, church, you got to be listening today. Whoever inside of this church needs to be listening. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. All right. So, again, great church, great problem. What's the only thing that they got going wrong, guys? You caught it. What do they do? They abandoned their first love. All right, this is a big deal, and I want you to look. Say that with me, because I want to just dig this in your brain. Say first online, right first love. I can't hear you. All right, say with me. What was their problem? They abandoned what? First love. Now, the thing is, every time I've heard this verse, I've heard this taught, I've I've even read this and trying to study, sometimes this church has given the name or given the description of being a loveless church. A church that is just falling in routine. A church that doesn't even know why they're doing what they're doing. They're just kind of doing it. But I have a problem with that description because I don't see that right now. Now, we, here's the thing we do know. The church did become that. Remember what Jesus said? If you don't make this one adjustment, I'm going to remove your lampstand. Meaning, you will no longer be effective. Do you know, church, I need y'all to know, Jesus don't play games. If a church refuses to put first love first... Do you know that they, a church can still exist presently, physically, yet be dead spiritually, have no kingdom effectiveness? Do you know that that happens? Do you know that is happening right now? There's a lot of church. Just because there's a cross in the front don't mean that there's light inside that church. Okay? And that's the thing that we as a church, we got to recognize, yo, hold on. It can happen. 
it can happen. And not just as a church, but as believers, because the church isn't just made up of body. That's you. If, there's, if this is not done, you can lose the light. Now, what does the light mean? Does it mean you lose your salvation? Nope, that's not what this is. It just means you lose your effectiveness. You lose the joy of your salvation. You're Instead of walking in power, you are walking under darkness. Still saved, but you are not walking in kingdom effectiveness. It's like Jesus would say, hey, it's like the salt losing saltiness. If it did, then hey, it's not worth anything. That's what we're seeing here. And you know what's sad? You go to Ephesus today, which exists. Uh, it's just ruins. It was a great city that had great calamities and suffered great earthquakes. And it is no longer really there. It's more of a tourist spot right now. And guess what's not in Ephesus? A church. There is no church there. It lost. See, I'm telling you, this is something that we should be careful because it's something that you and I can lose. And it's not what Jesus wants us to lose. That's why he's trying to talk to him and say, hey, yo, y'all got to make adjustments because I don't want you to lose this. And so what was it? It was this a lifeless church who was out of just kind of doing things at a routine. No, I don't believe that's what the, the problem was. Because first off, did you see all the great things that they were doing? They hated sin. They, they hated those who were corrupting the scriptures. They had good doctrine. They loved God's word. They loved God. He says, you are suffering and enduring for the sake of my name. So there's love there. There is love for each other as they're enduring hardships together. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says, I am amazed by your love for one another. I am amazed by your love for one another. So there is love in this church. The problem is not love. The problem is not a lack of love in this church. The problem, here's the key word here. It's first love. The key word is first, not love. This church did not have a problem with loving. They had a problem with the priorities of their love. First love was not first. And if something ain't first, right, something else is going to replace it. If something ain't first, something else. So what replaced first love? Well, first of all, we got to look at what is first love. First love, what is he talking about? Is he saying, look, you don't love me anymore? No, no, because again, there's love there. But what is first love? Here's what I believe is happening in this church right now. And, and you and I, this can happen to us, especially if you're, you know, I'm talking to church right now. It's going to happen to you. I believe that this church was so busy trying to live for God that they stopped living with him. They were living out of their love for him instead of out of God's love for them. Now, I don't know if that sounds like deep or not, but here's the thing. If you are living for God, you are living in your strength, in your wisdom, in your ability, in your understanding. And that, well, you, are not, you are limited. You got a limited amount in the tank. And if you're going to try to live for God in, with your efforts on you, you are going to burn out. Notice what, what happened. Hey, if y'all keep this up, y'all doing great. But you guys, are, you guys are doing great and working ministries, all this stuff. But if you, you have abandoned first love, if you keep this up, you're going to spiritually burn out. Yo, church, I've been there. I've been there. Do you know? And this is crazy. I have living for God multiple times I've burned out. Because I, every time I caught myself, I was doing this for God instead of with him. And that's, there's a big difference there. Because you and I are never expected to just live for him. Do you know that Jesus, God never asked us to just live for him? Do you know what he asked us to do? To follow him, to live with him, by him, through him. Not just, hey, run and you do it for on your own. No. And that's the thing. Do you know that the devil and demons, guys, can tempt us 
They don't just tempt us with sin. They don't tempt us with just bad things. They can tempt you with something good. They can take something like ministry and, and working for God. And they can take that. And here's, here's what can happen. And this is what I believe the church was doing. And I found myself in this. I've sometimes found myself, and I know I'm not the only one, especially if you're trying to, if you're a believer in Christ, you sometimes get more, like you root your identity in what you do for him. Like your worth and your value comes from what you do for him. You see this? And so because I do this, I am valuable. Because I can do this and I can operate in this way and I got this spiritual gift. Because I do this, I feel special. I know Christians that if I don't do this, then something is wrong with me. And because their identity is rooted in what they do for God. Instead, listen, our identity is not on what we do for God. Our identity should be rooted in what God has done for us. That's the priority. The priority is not what you can do for God. You know, you ever, it's like that, I'm hearing JFK in my head, right? You ever heard that? I was like, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I think too many times we focus on what do I need to do for God and we forget what he's done for us. That is the most important thing. That is what we need to, that is first love. It's him, not just living for him. It's like, God, I, and this is what I did. I burned out because I was so overwhelmed by God's love when it impacted my life. And I experienced that forgiveness and the filling of the Holy Spirit and regeneration. I was so grateful that I, I literally went crazy. Like, I just, I just wanted to live for him. And I did some, I mean, I did some stuff. Not crazy, crazy. Come on now. But, like, I remember I went on a mission trip one time. And I was just so, like, overwhelmed by God's love. I literally gave all my clothes away when I went. I came back literally with just enough clothes so I don't get arrested at TSA for being naked. You know, like that's all, all I had was with what I came on. And I was just, I just lived a kind of way. But then the more I started living and then I started rooting my joy out of what I was doing for God. And then eventually I burned out. You know, as a pastor, I burned out four years ago. Okay. Been pastoring here for 10 years. I burned out. Do you know that? And this is the problem that I feel like this church is doing. Listen, guys, do you, and I found myself doing this, I found myself talking more about God than talking to him. Do you see how, that, you see how that's messed up? I spend more time working, for, like if I looked at the Bible, the only reason I looked at the Bible was not so I can fill my soul, it's so I can study something and just be able to dish it out to you guys. I was not spending time with God. I did not prioritize my time with God. I'm just too busy. God, I'm living for you. I'm, I'm, I'm busy living for you. And it's like, you ain't gonna make it. You're not gonna make it. I believe that's what this church is doing. It's saying, hey, I love your love. You got a lot of things going on, but if you, you have abandoned first love and without this, you ain't gonna make it long. And do you know how I believe that this is, this is what it is because I look at that word love. Do you know what the word that Jesus used for love? You've abandoned first love. You know what that word is? Agape. Agape is a word that if you're a Christian, you know that sounds familiar. Agape is literally the word in Greek that is describing the love of God. So when he says you've abandoned first love, meaning you don't, you're doing this not because of my love for you. You're so busy just expressing your love for me. You're, you're running on your own strength. And when God, and John, he actually said this in a previous letter. He says, listen, God is agape. God is love. So when Jesus is telling this church, you've abandoned first love, you know what he's technically saying? You've abandoned me. You've abandoned me. I am agape. God is agape. We could be so busy living for God, and yet we're not spending any time with him, and we're not going to make it long. It's like us right now. You, you, you take a breath. If you go right now and, 
Look, I'm not breathing right now. I'm just holding in the breath. But you notice I'm functioning. I'm talking. My mind is working. Things are okay. But if I don't breathe in the next few seconds, what's going to happen to me? Whew, okay, what's going to happen to me, right? I'm going to die, right? I need to, I need to breathe in and out. That's what this church did. I believe it's like they just, okay, here we go. And they just stopped spiritually breathing. There is no church there any longer. Listen, I want you guys to know, God, I know there's a lot out there in the world right now. There's, it's, it's crazy. There is more work that needs to be done and not enough workers. There's not. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful that our, our identity is rooted in what God has done for us, not in what we can do for him. Do you know that right now there's a lot of those who are a part of, uh, talking about move earlier, right? We were singing, Lord, this is a move. Well, obviously, we, we can see multiple movements in our society right now. You know, from across the spectrum, there's a lot of movements. And here's what's amazing is that why are movements so exciting for us? Because it makes us feel important, right? When, when we put that hashtag, when we go out and when we do this, we feel important because we feel like we're doing something important. And, and you're right. But as believers in Christ, our identity is not rooted in what we do for him. Our identity and everything is based on what he has done for us. Because if you get that out of order... Your faith is out of order. You are going to, like this church, you are going to burn out. Now, here's how I know even more, like, this is what his first love is. Because uh, Paul, I want you to read this one verse. We're going to put it up here. Ephesians. So Paul wrote this decades before, decades before John is writing this to this church. And we're going to look at a certain prayer. And if you you read the book of Ephesians, there's a lot of little prayers that Paul is giving. And Paul says, I pray for you here. And I pray for this. And I pray for this. And they all have the same theme, I want you to know. And I want to pick one verse that highlights the theme. And what's crazy is that when you look at the whole book of Ephesians, the church had problems. And Paul was helping them out. When you read the letter to the church of Ephesus... They actually, and A.B. compare those, you notice that they applied a lot of Paul's principles. A lot of the issues that they had are no longer issues. They did what Paul told them to do, but they forgot to do the one most important thing that Paul told them. Oh, by the way, don't forget, this is the most important thing you do. They didn't do that. They did everything else, but not this. You guys want to know what it is? Look at Ephesians 3, 17 and 19. Look at Paul's prayer. I pray, he's talking to the same church of Ephesus, a couple of decades before Revelation, he says this, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in, guess what word he used? Agape, love. That's the same word that Jesus used. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in agape, established in what? Established in God's love for you. That's what agape is, God's love for you. May, that, you may be, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of what? God's agape, God's love for you. And to know Christ that surpasses knowledge, that Christ agape, Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Do you know that Paul never once prayed, I pray, church, that you may grow in your love for God. You know, he doesn't pray that. I pray that you may grow in your love for God. No, he says, I pray that you may grow in understanding God's love for you. That you may grow in understanding God's love for you. Because when you understand how loved you are, then you're going to love. When you understand who God is and what he has done for you, you are going to react. You're going to live a kind of way. That's what it means. 
But without first love, listen, you lose intimacy. What what did Jesus say? He says, those who conquer are going to eat from the fruit of the tree, right? Conquer what? Conquer who? A person? No. I believe he's saying, if you conquer the temptation to live for me rather than with me, if you just conquer, just not abandoning me, if you conquer the temptation of being led and disconnected, that you just stay with me, you're going to eat from the fruit. You know, and that speaks of not just future eternity. Do you know what that means? That's fuel. That when you eat, obviously it's for, right, it's for you to keep going. That you're going to eat from something. You are going to tap into a life source that's going to give you life today and fill you, fulfill you, satisfy you. Not just in eternity one day, but today. And he's ta- that is talking about intimacy. I mean, how many times if you look at the scriptures over and over and over, the word term firsts comes around. Exodus, the chapter 20, all right? I look at the pastor like not stuttering on that. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. You know what commandment one and two is? Commandment number one is not even a commandment. It's just a statement. Hey, I'm the one who got you out of Egypt, guys. I'm the one who led you out of slavery. Don't forget that. And then number two, don't put any other idols before me, i.e. put me first. That's the Exodus. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be added unto you. Everything else will take care of itself, but you have to put this first. You put me first. This is what matters. It is the order. Jesus even told the greatest commandment, love one another as I have loved you. What does that mean? You don't love others so that God can love you. No, what happens first? You are being loved. And as you are being loved by God, you love others. You see the priority there? First love, that's agape. And even John himself in first, uh, first John 4, 19, he says, you and I can only love because God, check it out, first loved. First love, agape. You and I can only love because God loves us. He loved us first. He loved us first. That first love is agape. It is him. And I wanna show you, look at this. Look at how God, God's consistent. The people of Israel in the Old Testament were doing the same thing that the church of Ephesus did. I want to show you. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever stepped on the stage, God is talking to Jeremiah to talk to the people of Israel. And look at what God is saying. Ready? Chapter 2, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah. And here's what God said. Go announce directly to Jerusalem that this is what the Lord says. I remember the loyalty of your youth. Your what? Your love. Your covenant love as a bride. How you followed me into the wilderness in the land not sown. But look at verse 13. I remember what it was like at first, the way we used to be, but now things are different. Verse 13. My people have committed a double evil. Look at the double evil that they do. You do the one, you do the other at the same time. All right, you get a two for one here. Look at this. They have abandoned me. Doesn't that sound like the same thing that Jesus was saying to the church? You've abandoned first love. You've abandoned agape. You've abandoned me. God is love. You've abandoned me. The fountain of living water. We were just talking about a river earlier today, the river of life. You've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns and wells that cannot hold water. Horrible trade. Listen, that's what it's like. If you want to live for God, you're digging a hole into the beach. That's not going to hold any water. You ever done that? Trying to build a, a sand castle and you build a hole, try to do a moat. Super frustrating as a kid, right? You don't get it. You fill it up with water, 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 and just, just drains because it's not solid. 
If you live for God, listen, your soul, we're cracked, we're broken, we're not perfect. So if you go to live for God, I don't care what you do, it's never enough. But only, only when we go to God, first love, agape, he is the only thing that can fill us. He's the only thing that can fulfill us. You got to get the order right. All right, look, I know baseball and everything is starting off right now, and I don't know if anybody's ever seen an inside-the-park home run. You ever seen one of those? You ever done that in kickball, right, or anything like that? What's an inside-the-park home run? The ball does not leave the field. It stays on play, and you go you, you go with all of the bases, and you go home, and you score inside-the-park home run. What happens if you miss and you don't tag first base, guys? You can tag third. You can tag second. You can tag third. You can hit home. But if you miss first base, guess what? I, I don't care if you're home. It didn't count. It didn't count. If you missed a base, you skipped it, it didn't count. You're home. You know, guess what? You can get tagged out. That's what happens. I don't care what you try to do for God. If you miss first base, if you abandon first love, if you're not leaning in and knowing and growing in the knowledge of God's love for you, it doesn't matter what you're going to do. It's not going to count. In fact, you're not just going to get tagged out. You burn out. Paul said this to the church in Corinthians. He says, I don't care what you do, what ministry. You can speak like this, do this, do that, generous. You can give your life sacrifice your life but if you do it without agape god's love he says you've done nothing it didn't count if you did it out of your own strength jesus is going to see in the end times. he's going to see a bunch of people and in judgment day there's going to be a bunch of people said god i did this for you i gave i did i blessed i did these miracles i did it all for you and he's going to say what is he going to tell them i don't know you no relationship no intimacy Jesus himself said, abide in, guess what? Agape. If you abide in my love for you, you are going to produce fruit. You're gonna, there's going to be a result. But if you don't abide in me, it's like a branch that's just you know, broken, thrown to the ground. You can do nothing without me. You can do nothing without me. Guys, it's important. Some of you maybe right now, I know I, I'm feeling this, and especially knowing a, a lot of you that, that I know it's in our church, a lot of you, your, your, your faith has kind of burned out over the last four months because we're not, you know, you've, you've missed a little bit of the disconnection, right? You've, you've just kind of, you've put other things in priorities. Maybe, you know, maybe you haven't been attending church online, in person, and just life is just kind of getting all crazy, and your faith is burning out because you're not putting first things first. And that's what the church is supposed to be for, to encourage and remind and, and to be that anchor. I get it, I know. Some of you, you may be noticing that, man, when I worship, when I sing, it's not the same. When I open up God's word, it's not the same. That's what happens. You burned out. And you've got to be careful because it can happen to any one of us. Look, and I'll give you one, one relationship because you, you see here in Jeremiah, it's the same thing with the church. God has a relationship with them and saying, hey, it's, uh, you're not doing anything with me. So if I, can, if I can put this, let me just give you this picture. Would you want to be in a relationship with somebody who did everything for you and never with you? Would you like to be married to someone who bought you everything you ever wanted, took you everywhere, you know, paid for whatever trip you wanted to go to, funded everything, yet never did anything with you? Never sat, they, they bought all the food for the refrigerator, but they never sat at the table to eat with you. They bought the bed, right? But they never sleep in the same bed with you. They purchase a house, but they don't live in the same house. Do you want to do, is that a really, would you love to be in that relationship? If you said yes, we need to pray, okay? We need to talk. Come on now, that's, that's not enough. No, no, you're missing out. But let me ask you, would you want to be in a relationship that you have, that person is doing everything for you, 
but never with you. Do you want to be in that relationship? No. Well, you know what? I've, me and Alicia found ourselves in a place like that about four years into our marriage. There's some of y'all, some of y'all, the love of some of your relationships are probably burned out because you can be so busy doing a bunch of other things, you don't prioritize your relationship. That's what me and Alicia did. For year one, look, we, we dated in high school, great relationship. We, we had a break. We came back, got, you know, everything great. We got married. First two years was great. We had a great relationship the first two years. But just like Ephesus, there was a problem. There was something that was out of order. Yeah, we didn't feel it because everything was still okay. We were happy. Things were great. All right. But then here's what happened is that as we got, as we got married, we stopped doing certain things. We stopped pursuing each other. Why? Because I won, right? I made it. That's it, right? Game over. There's so many people, like, we look at the wedding day as the finish line. Listen, the wedding day is the starting line. It's not the finish line. A lot of people, when they have a relationship, you start dating, it's official, it's exclusive, or you get married and like, all right, I'm good. And then you kind of let yourself go in a lot of ways, right? Kind of, you know, you know, because when you are first married, you know, before you're married, right, you're trying to, trying to get that person, you're trying to woo them over, right? You act different, don't you, right? You, you eat a little different. You know, you take care of yourself a little differently, right? You do certain things different. You go over the top to express your love to this person because you want them. You're trying to woo them, right? You're trying to get them, right? So you do things, but how many, and this is what me and Alicia did. Like, I reacted a kind of way because of how, who she was. Like, I wasn't just crazy in love with her. I went crazy, literally. Like, my, I was going, I was going for the fences on this one with her. Like, I, 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 a stupid joke I always say all the time. I, everything that I was trying to do to win her over, listen, I was going to end up with one of two things. Either a marriage certificate or a restraining order. One of the two. Because I was just, boom, out there. But I was doing it out of love. Right? But here's the thing that I messed up in. We both did. We got married and then we had bills, responsibilities, careers. Guess what we stopped doing? Pursuing each other. And we just went on fumes. Year two, year one, still great because, hey, things, year two, it was good. Year three, it was all right. Here come kids. One kid, two kid. By the way, we, we knew how to stop that. All right? So we knew, you know, it's like, oh, where are these kids coming from? You know? We understand, but here's the thing, two kids, three kids, ministry, working, starting a church, and we found ourselves, in our marriage, we found ourselves, we had love for each other, so that's, we had love, but we didn't feel loved, does that make sense? There was love there, it's not like we just stopped loving each other, we loved each other, but it just, something was missing, because for years, we did not prioritize first love, we did not put not, not just God first, we didn't put each other first. We put everything else there, and our relationship kind of fizzles out, even though there was love there. Guys, listen, that can happen with God. If we don't put him first, it doesn't matter what you do for him, right? You're, the, the fruit that you're going to live is never going to satisfy and fulfill you. He must be first. God doesn't want you to live for him. In the same way you wouldn't want anyone to live, do things for you, and never with you. He wants you to walk with Notice what Jesus said, repent, remember, repent, repeat, or be removed, right? That's kind of what Jesus said. Remember, repent, repeat, or be removed. What did he want them to remember? Remember how far you have fallen. Repent and do what you did at first. But then even this one, I want to stop and I want to make sure and encourage you, church. Do not say, it was like, oh, I remember what, the way I used to be when I was first saved. And let me just go back and doing that. Stop. 
Because if that right there is you still on you, doing it in your strength and your ability, don't look back because what made you live a kind of way when you first followed Jesus? What made you live that way? You didn't force it. It was, a, it was an action. Why? Because you were so overwhelmed by God's love for you. You just, that's how you lived. And so I have seen this over and over again. I was like, yeah, you know, I, I got to put God first. And then you go back to just, it's you doing all of the work. But I don't believe God is saying, hey, remember what you used to do and do that. No, remember why you used to do. Why? Why? You remember my moment, my love for you. Listen, some of us, salvation has been so great, you've forgotten how great of a sinner you used to be and can still be. You know what I believe Jesus is trying to say, remember? He's not saying, remember you. No, no, no. Remember what you were like before me. Remember that moment. How many times do you remember the moment when you went to God the first time and you asked, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And he, instead of condemning you, which he could have, instead of saying no, instead of just you know, declaring you guilty, which he should have, what did Jesus say? Okay. When you asked for forgiveness and he said, yes. That feeling, that overwhelming feeling is what led us to live that kind of way. We cannot, we cannot lose sight of God's great love for us. That is what we're called to focus on. It's that it's a not abandoning, not forgetting how great his love is for us that we don't deserve and never have and still today don't god doesn't want you to do things for him he wants you to do things with him he wants that unbroken relationship and so if i was going to encourage you to remember what i'm going to tell you this remember the cross if you want to remember of how loved you are just look to the cross the cross is the ultimate reminder of god's great love for us and if there was one word i want you to remember it's this, it's a verse, it's a word that you see throughout all of the Old and New Testament. And it's a word that is used to describe God's people. Do you know what the word is? Beloved. I want you to say that word now. Say beloved. Okay? Beloved. Online, you hear me, right? Say beloved. The beloved, you say, my dearly beloved. Beloved. That was an, a name. Do you know what the word beloved comes from? The same root word, agape. It is translated from agape. Beloved means people who are loved by God. That is what marks them. You are not, we are not marked by our love for God. What marks us is God's great love towards us. That is agape. Beloved are people loved by God. And so if I can remind you, church, to do anything today, anything that would keep that fire stoked, it's this right here. Listen, beloved, be loved. That's it. Beloved, learn to be loved by God. First love, be loved. Loved. The only way that you and I can be love is when we are know how loved we are. Be loved so that you can be love. And remember that. Remember how loved you are. That even before, before you gave your life to Jesus, listen, you are a worse sinner than you could ever comprehend. But do you know that God doesn't love you more now than when you did back then? Do you know that you can do all of this stuff for God just because I'm standing up here and you're sitting there or you're watching there? doesn't mean God loves me more than you or you or you or you. God does not love me more because I said yes to him or loves me more because I've accomplished so much for him. He doesn't love me more. He loves me the same from when I did nothing. 
He loves me the same when I was his enemy. Think of that. That God's love has not increased because my ability and my efforts have increased. God just straight loves you. You are, I love Tim Keller, he says this, you are a greater sinner than you could ever imagine, but you are more loved than you can begin to comprehend. That's you. That's you. And God loves you not because you're special. God doesn't love you because you're special. Mm -mm. He loves you despite the fact that you're a sinner. He loves you. That's what makes you special. It's his love towards you. And we need to constantly remember that. Remember, remember his love for us. Remember his love for us. It's like a car, right? If you have a car, you can, you can have the best car. Imagine your perfect car, paid off, no debt, mint condition, leather seats, all, everything you can imagine, right? Perfect. You detail, you take care of that. You know, everything is topped off. But if you don't put gas in the tank, what point, you know, what's the car going to do? The car needs fuel. The car needs gas. And that fuel is first love. First love is that fuel for our faith. And we need to, in the same way that you put gas in the tank and you're driving, eventually, what? You need to refuel. You need to refuel eventually, right? In the same way, we have to constantly remember. We refuel our tank when we constantly remember God's great love for us. We need to constantly remember what Paul said to the Galatian church. It is I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live. I live because of the, in faith, in the son of God, who agape, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I live this body. I live my life because of what he has done for me. That's first love. That's first love. Church, listen, you live differently when you know you're loved, don't you? You live differently when you know you're loved. I know that because you flip it. If you've ever grown up in a home that you didn't feel loved, you had issues, didn't you? You live when you feel, when you live a kind of way when you don't feel loved. But then it's the opposite. You live differently when you know you are loved. And you live in a radical way when you know how amazing and incredible God's love is for you. And that's what it is. You pray differently. You act differently. You serve differently. You live differently when you know you are loved. And that's all God wants us to do is not go out and do things for him, with him, with him, by, in, and through his love for us. Beloved, just be loved. Try that this week. Be loved. Because the more you learn to be loved, you and I are going to be loved in such a way that our nation, our world is going to change. There are things out of order in our country. What we need is first love. It's God. It's God's love. And we're not going to fix it with hate. We're not going to fix it with anything else. We're going to fix it by the power of God's love by him, in him, through him. That's what, just knowing the love of God, being rooted and grounded in agape, his love for us. That's what following Jesus is all about.
As we can see, man, first love, the first love that Jesus is talking about, first love is what fuels revival. It's the presence and the love of God. And what matters is that this first love, agape, the love of God, takes supremacy and priority over all things. Our relationship with God cannot come second because the second it does, all right, the second it does, things begin to fall apart, man. Jesus is our foundation. He is the bottom, right? Just like in Jenga, you, you don't start pulling all the all the little pieces at the bottom because it all falls apart. Well, the same thing. We got to make sure that we put Jesus first, God first in all things, put him in supremacy, all right? That's what matters because if not, if Jesus Jesus ain't first, we are not going to last. Our connection with God, our relationship with God, and really importantly, our effectiveness in being followers of Christ, our, effective, our effectiveness in this world will not last if Jesus is not first. So I want to encourage you guys to spend some time this week really exploring that, spending extra time prioritizing God, because listen, do not put serving God over seeking him, okay? Because that's what this church did. This church prioritized. They were so busy serving God that they stopped spending as much time seeking him. That's not good. Jesus said it wasn't good for them. It's not good for us. So we got to prioritize seeking Christ first. Trust me, if you serve, if you seek Christ, you will serve Christ. If you only focus on serving Christ, you ain't going to seek him anything. You know, you're not going to serve him well. All right. So prioritize seeking Christ. And you can do that in so many different ways. Okay. It's not just in our actions. It's not just reading the Bible more, spending more time in prayer, kind of like checking things off. No. It's just, man, just reminiscing, marinating in the truth and that the fact that God loves you and pursuing the presence of Christ. All right. So I want you to prioritize that this week and do that because as we come back next week, we are going to just keep this going and we're going to see just what happens when we put first love first. This is the result. All right. And which is going to be church number two. So until then, guys, I'd love to see you. Uh, see you back next week. All right. Make sure to prioritize seeking God over serving him because that's what it means to be a revolutionary revolving your life around seeking God and as a result you will serve God knowing him and making him known in this world all right God bless you guys have a good week see you next time